Hi. Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue. I hated the book. All right? I have no idea what it's about, and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed. Who dares follow Miss Kelly's lucid analysis? It's required reading. With Tom and Stella, episode 30, Pop Culture Books Special. Required Reading with Tom and Stella, a podcast brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, and each month we take a thorough look at one particular piece of literature and determine whether it's worthy of its reputation. And while I threaten it from time to time, we still have read the books that we choose. But one time, I think it'd be funny if we just chose a book and didn't read it and then had an imaginary discussion over it. So I'm here, of course. It's me, Stella. And with me is my uh, nerdy co-host, because I don't know if we can make any sort of apt analogy here, Tom Panneris. Hey, so how are you? I'm well. This is uh, it, the, These specials seem to come closer, or I guess closer is not really the, the correct word, but more quickly now that we've gotten some legs under our little podcast. So it, yeah. it just seems like we blink. We've done a couple episodes, and whoa, we're at the 10 spot again, and here we are. Yeah, we are. We are. And uh, yeah, it, it flies by, because I was trying to remember when we did... Um, 20 which was novelizations and i have like the notes because i was slipping through the notebook where i put a lot you know where i jot down podcast notes and stuff and right. uh, i i saw the notes for that and i'm like oh wow we just did that and then i was thinking back to like other works we did and we've done we've do, we've been doing this show for i think about three almost three years now yeah. Um, a little, like up to, about two and a half years. I think our first episode was like October ish, about three years ago. And uh, yeah, it just, it doesn't seem like we've been doing it for that long. No, I think Alan didn't think we were going to make it out of the gate. Well, that's Alan. <laughs> oh, man. Shag's annoyed that he couldn't invite himself on. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, that's because we, well, it's hard. Once we do something that's with V or who's it's what's it's, then then he can invite himself on, I suppose. I have one V novel. It was really good, actually. 
Oh, okay. Um, it, it's falling apart, literally. The cover fell off. But I paid $2 for it, I think, at, uh, at a used bookstore. So I got my $2 worth. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, But yeah, so just to bring us into the actual episode, and we're not talking about V... This is uh, keeping in what, what is our every 10th episode thing. Uh, we pick a special topic that we want to explore. Uh, sometimes it's a genre of literature, like our episode 10, we did uh, memoir, autobiography, and biography. Uh, episode 20, we did novelizations and expanded universes, or it might be a particular theme. And I think that is probably uh, what we went with here, which was pop culture books or books related to pop culture or about different aspects of pop culture. Um, I'll get into the specifics of that and how we came about that in a moment. Um, but we're basically what we're going to do is we are going to um, – we've broken – kind of this umbrella topic of pop culture books down to three different sort of subgenres. Uh, pop culture books that are basically, critic- as, as I wrote it in the criticisms and big old lists, which are those books that are um, kind of just long pages and pages and pages of, of micro-reviews of films and lists of the, the best of this genre or the best in this thing or the best in that or, or whatever. Um, kind of like an index, in, in other words. Um, then we have pop culture, general pop cultural history. Um, perhaps it's about a particular genre or has a large scope. It could be a decade or an era. Um, there are, of course... You know, there are there are celebrity memoirs, I guess you could kind of file under that, but I, I think we left those behind in episode 10, so we're kind of broadening the scope of something like that. And then finally, the coffee table book, of which there are many related to pop culture. Now, this topic came about um, not from one of us specifically, or this topic was not chosen by one of us specifically, because it came about from one of us, but it came from the listeners uh, back a couple months ago. Stella and I were trying to figure out what we wanted to do for this episode. And we have a a document where we just kind of dump ideas into it. Just, you know, we had, it's just literally just a a Google doc with a list. And, um, we were trying to figure out, okay, like, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? It's like, it's like, you know, those times when me and my wife were like, where do you want to eat? I don't know where you want to, where do you want to eat? Um, so we had like three or four and what Stella did was come up with the idea to run a Twitter poll. And I believe we had people choosing between this empathy in literature, poem or short stories and library yeah, stories, like isn't it? Memories of going to the library and bookstores, library stories, which I really do think um is a really cool idea and I think we we, we are we are definitely holding on to that one as well. I think all of those are possibilities in the future. So, um, and I believe it was pretty close between two of them. I think short stories was in second place. And uh, this this won out. So we are going to be talking about pop culture books. So, um, and like I said, I, I gave a little bit of an overview of what a pop culture book is, at least is what we're talking about. And just to kind of, uh, I brushed aside the celebrity or, or popular culture figures, bio or autobiography. Um, they could kind of qualify, especially if you get a lot of inside scoop about uh, a particular production they were in or thing they worked on or something like that. You know, um, sometimes you do get a nice amount of 
of coverage. Uh, one that a friend of mine and my sister both recommended is by Carrie Elways called As You Wish, which is his memoir of being on in The Princess Bride, which kind of qualifies as a pop as a memoir as well as a pop culture book because apparently it gives you a lot of different things. So so they, they, they can kind of there's a little crossover here. Um, I guess novelizations and ebooks kind of are adjacent to this as well because what we talked about in general was stuff that really is in the pop culture mainstream. Like, you know, comic book. We, I think you and I talked about, like, the Nightfall and, and No Man's Land adaptations. We talked about the Star Wars expanded universe. I mean, those are major, major figures in, in the pop culture landscape. But we are really going to mainly talk about books that cover works of popular culture, books of genres of popular culture, the history of specific pop culture events, works or errors in books that are criticisms of them. Uh, we each have some recommendations, I hope. And um, <laughs> and Stella is going to lead us off by just kind of giving us a rundown of stuff that is like, you know, your 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 criticisms and your big old lists. Yeah, so this is interesting because once the Twitter poll happened and you told me what won and you said pop culture books and I thought, "Well, that's great. What 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 does that mean?" <laughs> and so Tom had to explain exactly what that means. So this actually I do apologize in advance because I think Tom will be the more engaging of the co-hosts in this particular episode because I don't really this isn't my choice in uh like reading materials because i more dive into the actual pop culture than reading about mm. the pop culture i only do it if it's like recommended which i'm sure there's one book that'll pop up for both tom and myself so anyways so we'll start off yeah with the criticisms and big old lists as tom said so these are books that are lists of things that you should see or read or listen to before you die, like, you know, a thousand and one movies to see before you die or albums, something like that. They could be best or worst movie uh, or etc. books. Anything else that is essentially an index of works of particular pop culture. I think that that basically yeah. summarizes the, the criticisms and the big old list. So, of course, before we even give our recommendations, a question that some people might ask is, well, hey, I see these 1001 movies before you die on IMDb or somewhere else. And, and yeah, what IMDb is the Internet mm. Movie Database. So on the Internet, there are these lists. And what what makes it? Why, why are these books, you know, useful or why should they be there if we can just go to the Internet to look up the same thing? What do these books have that the Internet um, does not? I'm, I'm trying to think of, of the best way to put that because I there are some books that I own and I have a lot of, e, you know, you and I borrow, probably have read our fair share of ebooks and listened to audiobooks, But what makes fun of the, what makes these kind of fun is the fact that they are the type of book that you can just kind of flip through. Um, like, I think if, like, like the way you flip through a magazine at the doctor's office or something, and and they become like, ah, they become kind of like a, 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 like, a like an encyclopedia of something. And like, you're right, they, they're kind of nearing obsolescence in terms of, um, what exactly, you know, like whether or not people would actually buy them. And for years um, before the 
internet really, or as the internet really was becoming what it eventually became, so we're talking through like the late 90s, you would have people like Roger Ebert um, and other, I don't remember what the what some of the other guides were, publish these books of movies that they, like I'm thinking movies, movies that they, they really liked or whatever, or there's a, there's a Roger Ebert book called, like, I hated, hated, hated this movie, um, which is all about, like, books, like, movie reviews of his that he just, of just, of movies he just trashed. And um, some of those were huge. They were, like, dictionary size. They were just enormous, like, phone books uh, of movies. So there were, like, these comprehensive works like an index, like a database, that they've essentially been replaced. But there, there are some that kind of poke around now that are really, really like specific, um, and can be uh, can be really interesting. Like the couple that I that I remember now that that I'll recommend now the one thousand and one movies and stuff that you see before you die, or the two that I have at home here at home are the one thousand and one albums to listen to, and um, one thousand and one comics to read um what's really cool about them is that a they're great to pick up off of a discount shelf so there, there's your one mr uh, mr professor allen um because i i've like never paid full price for any of this for for, for for any book like this um but you flip through them and you see stuff that like you normally wouldn't necessarily um seek out on your own. So you see people's like, um, you see maybe a snapshot of the cover of the comic book in the 1001 comics and a short review by one of the people who's the editors, the writers of it. And, um, that particular book is arranged by, um, decades. So it starts all the way back as like the twenties and the thirties. And it moves up to, I think the early, like the 2010s or the two thousands, whenever the book was published. Um, I have a little bit of beef with that book where there isn't enough superhero in it for me. You know, it, it seems to it, it seems to get a little too um, pretentious at times. But at the same time, um, I'm flipping through this. I'm like, you know, looking at stuff that was published like 30, 40 years ago. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know this exists. Maybe I could look and see if I can find it somewhere. And the same thing with some of the album, the albums and books and, and, and all these different um, list books. Um uh, the one, and, and maybe this is because I'm old, but the one thing I have a real problem with doing is on Amazon is browsing. Um, I can click links of like the algorithm links, you know, because you searched for no man's land. We recommend buying legacy, you know, or something like that. You know, they'll link to something that, you know, whatever. Um, or because I bought like infinity war on DVD, Here's like you might want to also buy. Here's five other Marvel movies. I can do that, but like going in and not knowing what I want to do, what I want to buy on Amazon, I'm like, huh. And the same thing with like Netflix, Netflix or whatever, or 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 kind of. I will always gravitate toward what I'm used to watching or like to listen to or like to read or whatever. But with something like this, where I'm flipping through it and it's kind of everything's tuned out, and you're like, oh. You find sometimes what I really love about them is you find something obscure, you find something that you would have never thought to watch, or or listen to, or read, or whatever, and you make you make a a a, um, a mental note of it, or you actually do go seek it out. So I think that's where they they are valuable because they're like kind of almost like a slower paced version of what we do when we're clicking through or tapping through a bunch of things. But again, I'm old, so. It might not work for uh, 
for the youngins? <laughs> yeah, I I don't necessarily. I mean, I can, I can see how this would be interesting, mm. but because the landscape is changing all the time, I feel like it's hard for the print to keep up. Yeah, I think it'd be great if you were going to get a list of something that had already reached an end. So let's say you picked up something about Judy Garland and maybe they, they went through all of her films or, you know, ranked it something like that. Or, uh, I suppose the Oscar, like the best noms through a certain time period, but you know, just that then the next year it's going to be out of date Mm -hmm. already. And I've used internet ones before you know if i'm looking to find a video or a movie rather and i think recently i looked up like top diane keaton films because i i just think she's uh, a fun actress and so i was looking through you know what people felt were some of her best films so for me unfortunately i hate to say this but yeah the internet is more of my Mm -hmm. go-to and i actually don't have any of these books i have like three or four a couple of them were gifts so, that's your yeah, excuse for everything. Of course, um, I think <laughs> I, I I think what, what's cool is that I just remembered another one that I have, but I have like one from that I got back in college, which was like this. Um, it was called Totally Awesome Eighties or something. It was basically like some this huge thing of different lists of different things from the eighties, and I have a couple of other ones like that where so they're banking clearly on nostalgia. So like it like I have a couple that are on my Kindle that are that were really cheap and it was basically I think somebody with a with a nostalgia blog either self published it or, or had it published and it it literally is like hey remember all this stuff from the eighties or the nineties or something well here's like some pictures of it and some commentary on it and you know have fun with this and so it's it's almost like they're throwaway books or like novelty books or something in that regard but those will get a little bit of traction because people will be like oh yeah so. So if, if, if they particularly seem interested in it, but you're right. They don't have much of a shelf life. Um, no pun intended. Uh, and so <laughs> they, they, they expire quickly, you know? Um, and you're right. The, the internet has essentially replaced them, but I did want to bring them up because they still are out there. I do have a few and I can recommend a couple. So I, I, well, you can recommend all of them since you'll take my <laughs> slot as well. If you are in a library and they have one of those 1001 blank to blank before you die, I would check it out. I don't think it's worth buying unless you can get it on the extreme cheap. But um, the two that I have, again, it's like I even checked out one time. I flipped through the 1001 works of art to see before you die. Or whatever, because I was like, huh, and I like I was just in the library flipping through it. So I would just check those out just to see what they have and 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 see if anything catches your eye. But the two I can I can recommend two. I have to recommend one because um, out of self interest, um, this is called. It's probably out of print by now. It's from um, about two thousand five. It was called the official Razzie Movie Guide. If you're un- and if you're unfamiliar with the Razzie Awards or the Golden Raspberry Awards, <laughs> Josh, these ca- are awarded the night before the Oscars. They are given out to what is voted on as the worst movies in the country for the past year. Um, this is a book that literally is just genre by genre. Things that won Golden Raspberry Awards were nominated and um, were just 
absolutely awful, awful movies. Um, and uh, do people actually accept the awards? There have been a couple of people who have accepted the awards. To my knowledge, um, it's been years since I paid okay. attention to them. I think one of the, I think at one point, um, I believe Paul Verhoeven accepted his award for Showgirls, and I oh, and I want to say that Halle Berry accepted her award for Catwoman, but, Ooh, but I have to check okay. that. But the reason I'm recommending this is self-serving because, um, and I didn't find this out for until years later when I was just stupidly self-googling. Um, <sighs> That is not a euphemism. Um, I'm quoted in this book because oh, a billion years ago in Internet time, so we're talking about the 2000, 2001, 2002, I used to write the occasional review for a site, which I don't know if it's around anymore, called Bad Movie Night. And one of the movies I reviewed was the 1982 um, musical The Pirate Movie, starring Christy McNichol. And they quoted, they have an entry on the pirate movie, and right above their review and, and discussion of the pirate movie is a quote from me from Bad Movie Night. <laughs> yes. Oh my. So that's, so I was like, all right. So I had to buy, yeah. You're famous. So I, moderately, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, I had to buy it. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm quoted in this book. The one that I will recommend, though, if, if you can find it, um, it was published, oh, 2009. It was published by the AV Club, um, you know, the spinoff AV Club blog, uh, the spinoff of The Onion. Um, it's called Inventory, 16 films featuring Manic, Manic, Manic Pixie Dream Girls, 10 Great Songs Nearly Ruined by Saxophone, and 100 More Obsessively Specific Pop Culture Lists. It is literally just like list of different things that are really weirdly categorized and silly commentary with it, and it's just... It's. I still flip through it every once in a while. It's just kind of fun as heck to, to listen to. Kind of basically taking a bunch of stuff from the and never before published stuff from the AV Club and putting it into a book. So again, and and I knew we were going to spend a ton of time on this. I figured that we would spend more time on the next of the three subgenres. But um, if you come across any of those books, especially on the cheap or online or um, in a waiting room or in a library or something put down the phone and flip through them and see if you see anything that, you know, it might draw you in. You'd be surprised. Put down the phone. What are they doing <sighs> on the phone? Um, the, the Snapchat. Oh, I see. You do that in a library, do you? I don't Snapchat. I'm too old. I actually don't. You just TikTok, uh, don't you? I don't even know. I, I don't even know what the kids are doing <laughs> now. Um, uh, who knows? I, Playing videos at full volume in my classroom. That's what they're doing. No, oh, I yell at them. When did for it come? Well, but when did it become like custom to do that? Like people, I've seen people do that like airports. Like they're playing in waiting rooms. Of like they're playing videos. Um, I don't think it is a custom. I don't know why it's going on in your school. The only time it would happen at mine is if they have but, the Chromebooks out. But then I yell yeah. at them and tell but, like, them. Like in society, it. I see people doing this. Like in a doctor's waiting room. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm at yeah. Starbucks sometimes, and people will be – I'm reading, and then there's already ambiance yeah. music, as you know, Tom, at Starbucks, and someone's got to be playing their own little stuff. Yeah. It's very bizarre. Get some earbuds. Uh, anyway, um, so our next one is <laughs> – Rant over. Rant for now. Okay. 
Our next one is the pop culture history thing. Now, this these are books that focus on a particular pop culture genre, but they have a large scope, so it can be a um, decade or an era in terms of, say, an industry like the film industry or whatever. Um, it might encompass many works, different people, and different stories, but they're all kind of interconnected. Say, they, for instance, they were all part of... Uh, a particular cultural movement. Um, everybody was at Woodstock, you know, like whatever it happens to be. Um, and then there are, of course, the uh, the behind the scenes spill the tea books. You know, the the ones that are about um, what went on behind the making of, say, Star Trek or or Saturday Night Live or something. And it's interviews with cast members and creators, and like you know, you get, you get kind of the inside secrets and the inside scoop, maybe the all the big gossip and stuff like that. And I think I. Think I think this is where like this particular idea of a pop culture book is really gonna um, really gonna have a lot more meat to it than than what we bought in the in the previous one. So um, I think you did say that there might be some books that we we will have both read or or have approached in one way or another. I think there's probably one. So um, we could get to that one in a second. But like, what's your experience with these? Because it sounds like you don't read a ton of these, whereas I'm like I totally geek out on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, I do not. I would say that my history with them have involved TV shows that I like. Uh-huh. So, for instance, these are not going to be my picks, but there are certain ones. I think the first one I may have ever gotten. Well, actually, the first two may have been. I don't even know if this counts actually, but there's a an action figure uh, worth guide that is not an action figure yes pricing Mm -hmm. guide for star wars because i have several i have a lot of star wars action figures and so this is something that i got when i was probably in middle school but i i did not get it it was purchased for me and so it's just something that i could go through and and see what action figures i have and and what they would be and then also to look in the past and see what those star wars action figures Mm. were like and then the next one i got was an alias and i think it went through maybe just season one i actually have it on my shelf but i didn't pull it out or anything i think it's like alias undisclosed or alias like undercut i don't know but it goes through like the making of and and details into the show and then i have little smaller guides of each season of smallville that my mom used to get me every christmas so it would go episode by episode of smallville and little little hints uh, or secrets and, and things like that. So those mostly are the ones that I have had experience with. And yeah, I've got a couple recently, but I just don't go out of my way to get these sorts of things. So it's got to be a recommendation from somebody or it's got to be something that I'm super passionate about and just want to read, you know, everything I yeah. can about it. Brett has a, a book, I believe it's called like the secret files of Barry Allen, which is tied into, um, the Flash TV show that, that I got him for okay. Christmas. So I know the type of book you're talking about. I had a couple of those for like Star Wars and Star Trek way back when I was a kid, too. Um, yeah, I, I tend to think of these. Um, I, I've read quite a few of them, and I try to make sure that I'm if I'm going to read them that they don't overlap too much, especially the comic book ones, because there are apparently there are quite a few comic book ones out there. 
but like I find that if it's rehashing like Frederick Wortham and the Seduction of the Innocent for the millionth time and it's a comic book history book, I might start I might before I buy look and see what comes up like later in the book just to see if there's any new information. Or like, you know, is this just basically well worn territory that I'm paying like fifteen dollars for or whatever. Um you mentioned stuff about like behind behind the scenes and you know like the making of um, oral histories became pretty popular in the last like five to ten years. We saw a lot of them published online. We saw a lot of them published in magazines where like a television shows writers or actors or producers would sit down with say Vanity Fair or whoever um, or the AV Club or Split Sider or whatever blog or publication there is and they would uh, talk about what it was like to shoot there was like one for Freaks and Geeks for instance and uh, there was a great article I think it was Vanity Fair um, where they just talked about like behind the scenes stuff you know that sort of stuff Um, the the mother of all of these the thing that kind of kicked off the craze um, was a book by Tom Shales back in the early 2000s called Live from New York which is an oral history of Saturday Night Live and um, I have it. I still have it here. Um, I read it years and years ago when it first came out, and um, I really enjoyed it because it was one of those like if you were really really into the show, um, it gave you some really in some cases some really nasty gossip too about um, about who was who, the people on the show or uh, the particular seasons or characters that were created and things like that. So that, that's the value I get out of it. Not, not like the nasty stuff, but some of the like really just stuff that I would have never known. Cause I don't know about you, but like when I watch a movie that I've never seen before, I tend to within, if, if not right after watching the movie, but maybe later on go to the IMDB page and look up the trivia for it. Mm. You know, and I'm really interested in the sort of like, you know, was this person like this person was actually not cast. It was originally supposed to be this person or, you know, they flubbed this take and or like, you know, some of the really just interesting stuff that would be with an on behind it and stuff like that. Um, you did mention that there is a book you might think we we might have in common here. So what what do you think it is? I think that it's Slugfest. Mm-hmm. Uh, inside the epic 50-year battle between Marvel and DC by Reed Tucker. And this is something that my mom heard about, I think, on NPR. It's where she recommends all all the good mm-hmm. things for me. And I told you yeah. about it, and then you put it on Flip. your Christmas wish list yeah, that's or something exactly like that, and then yeah. you got it. And then I thought, well, my wicked plan worked because now I don't have to buy it. I can just <laughs> wait for Tom to finish reading it and then borrow it from him and read it. But it was it was really interesting because, I, you know, I've known little snippets of, of Marvel mm-hmm. and DC, but to have them combine together and, and see that timeline from start to finish and, and how the companies grew and – Sometimes they were antagonistic. Sometimes they were, I think, friendly towards yeah. each other. I think, in particular, you know, nine eleven. Um, yeah, so that that was really interesting, and it was something that, of course, it wasn't tough to read through because I'm big into comics and I'm big into both of those publishers. So was, I had a vested interest in that. I, I I've read it. Um, I I had mixed feelings about it. Um, I found some of the stories about DC in particular 
very interesting, and I think I found those to be the most interesting parts of the book. And I think the reason for that is that we have not really gotten the DC equivalent of a book that I would heartily recommend, which is called Marvel, The Untold Story, um, which is this, you know, really, like, deep, deep dive into the history of Marvel Comics. Um, you know, that, that in a way that is, that comes off as, a, like, kind of an authorized biography type of thing, but it, it does, it's done very thoroughly, and it's a fascinating book. We don't have anything like that with DC, so we have snippets from interviews and books like this and, and um, articles and things written over the years. But there was a, the thing that bothered me about the book, and, and I know <laughs> Mike Mike Bailey has kind of the same feeling on it, was that the the writer kind of went out of his way to make it a well, as the book says, slugfest, and make it seem like Marvel is like, kind of like come down to the Marvel fanboy side of things, you know, and and really tried to, especially as you got into history of comics that I am familiar with, really tried to make it seem like DC always lagged. And um, in some cases, that is true. There are periods where Marvel was just dominating in the market or creatively or whatever. But then there are periods like, you know, you can't completely discount what DC put out. And the thing that really, I think the thing that really just finally turned me off while I was reading the book was when they got into the 90s and they're talking about the the boom, the comics boom, you know, um, early 90s. Image Comics is barely mentioned Neither is Valiant. Neither is any of the other stuff that went on that really was... So they, they just made it seem that, like, you know, Marvel... <laughs> he, he made it seem that, like, Marvel and DC were, like, the only things there, and he really did not mention... I, I even looked it up in the in the index. I think, I think Image Comics was mentioned, like, maybe once or twice. But, like, he kind of just skipped over the impact that that company and some of the other companies and the speculator market had on on the um on the big two and and really did not and then started going into the movies and all this other stuff and it was just kind of like you know you're just you're basically constructing a narrative so that it fits your what you wanted it to be so that's not necessarily a well-researched book even if it was decently researched it's not a well particularly well-written book because you're not really presenting you're trying to present this as something that actually happened when you're you know you're you're being very convenient cherry-picking your your research so that's i kind of had to call them out on that (laughs) as best as i could i would recommend marvel the untold story though it is a really really good book and DC, the untold story. They don't have it out yet. No. In fact, I yeah, I want happen. I want like Jeanette Kahn's memoir. You know, like she's been through so many generations of writers and artists. Yeah, like she? she started. She took over um, publisher as publisher in DC in the late seventies, right? I think, and she was um, there up through the late nineties, early two thousands. So she, at least twenty, maybe even thirty years worth of DC's history. When they had, when when during that history, you had, um, 
the you had Crisis, you had Dark Knight, you have Watchmen, you have Vertigo, you have the boom and the bust. It's like you know, I, and and here you have um, somebody who I believe when she, I don't even know if she was even thirty when she became the publisher of DC Comics. So you have somebody who is a young woman taking over one of the two major publishing comics publishing companies in the country, a field that's been dominated by men. Um, I would love to read her memoir, you know, just, just, to, mm. just as a cut from a comics history standpoint, I would love to read something by her. So if it's out there, I don't even think it's out. I don't think there's anything out there. So she probably has to be far enough away from DC in order to do that. Maybe, maybe she signed a, a non-disclosure. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Dan DiDio is uh, a <laughs> Dan DiDio made her sign something. <laughs> Twenty six years she left in two thousand two. So I'd be I'd be very curious as to whether or not she uh, she she will come out with anything um, anything like that. So um, uh, any any other any other books like this that that you can think of? Because I could, I could of okay, course, yes, ahead. yes, yes. I'd like this one since I I don't have many of the others, so I'm going to use as much as I can on this one. So one of them that I heartily re- recommend is by a I would like to call her a friend, friend colleague, a, ba- a fellow Babs enthusiast, Carolyn yes. Coca, and it recently won the uh, what was it twenty. 17 Eisner and it's called Super Women Gender, Power, and Representation and I went on Amazon so I could get like a, a good description of it because I didn't want to mess it up. So from the publisher or probably from Carolyn there over the last 75 years superheroes have been portrayed most often as male heterosexual, white, and able-bodied Today a time when many of these characters are billion dollar global commodities there are more female superheroes, more queer superheroes, more superheroes of color and more disabled superheroes but not many more Super Women investigates how and why female superhero characters have become more numerous but are still not at all close to parity with their male counterparts. How and why they have become a flashpoint for struggles over gender, sexuality, race, and disability. What has changed over time and why in terms of how these characters have been written, drawn, marketed, purchased, read, and reacted to. And how and why representations of superheroes matter, particularly to historically underrepresented and stereotyped groups. Specifically, this book explores the production representations and receptions of prominent transmedia female superheroes from their creation to the present. Wonder Woman, Batgirl and Oracle, Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Star Wars, Padme, Amidala, Leo Organa, Jaina, Solo, and Rey, and X-Men's Jean Grey, Storm, Kitty Pride, Rogue, and Mystique. It analyzes their changing portrayals in comics, novels, television shows, and films, as well as how cultural narratives of gender have been negotiated through female superheroes by creators, consumers, and parent companies over the last several decades. So I will say, just like Tom is a little bit famous, I'm a little bit famous too because she did cite me in her bibliography or works cited my my podcast anyways and yeah no i i very much like this just exploring those particular characters some of them i was more 
familiar with than others, obviously, you know, Batgirl and Oracle. And I think at that, yeah, Jana Solo, I think I'm still, I'm still not familiar with her. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I think when it was coming out, I saw maybe like the first three or four seasons, but I have not touched it since. But just going through and looking at their, their representations throughout the media, and it opened my eyes to some things that I didn't really realize and, and made me think more deeply about it. So I very much liked this book, especially if you are fans of those particular properties. And I think just in understanding how minorities are represented in comics and it's getting better, but it's still, as, as that description said, you know, th- we're not on a, an equal scale. I guess real life is modeled by the arts and vice versa. Art imitates life. So yeah, I, I very much like this book and not just because I'm, I'm friends with the author. I enjoyed the, I read it. I think I borrowed your copy and then, and then read yep. it. Um, so this is, kind of turning the tables on this one. Um, no, I, I really did enjoy that. Um, I, there are some academic ex- explorations of popular culture that are very, very worth reading. Um, and uh, and this was really interesting because of the way it, it addressed representation um, and the history of representation in, in, uh, in comics. And it didn't just stick with, say, Wonder Woman, for instance. You know, it went beyond that and, and explored like, like it just it showed a real. I, I liked the depth of I the depth of her research. It was like really mm, yeah, impressive, absolutely. and I was just like, oh, you know, it just made you think as she was going through this, list, you know, like kind of thinking of all these different things and like really just kind of she wasn't just kind of um it wasn't just like some Twitter thread or something she was spouting off. It was like you know it was like yeah, this is really. Really, really thorough and really, really well written and engaging too, because academic yeah. works can be really dry. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I know that she wants to continue. I think there's a Supergirl chapter that she wants to do, but I think it was just too soon. I think she got it out right before, right after the Wonder mm. Woman film came out, and so now a Supergirl on the small screen, you know, she could yeah. do that, and yeah, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I actually didn't even think of I I, I didn't think of that, but I, there, I there's a academic pop culture book um, from way back in like 2005 uh, called Growing Up Degrassi that I have a copy of. Oh, Degrassi! Yes. Um, yeah, there's a uh, it, it's it, it contains a it contains it's a bunch of essays. It's not by one person. It was just a bunch of essays that people had, like you know, in their experience, um, mostly with the because I think um, Degrassi High, Degrassi the Next Generation was in its like fourth or fifth season by then. Um, the controversy with with Manny having the abortion had come and gone, so it was that had aired or or had not aired or whatever that had happened by then, but. Um, but a lot of it is about like by people who were um, fans of the original show from back in the eighties. Uh, the second essay in there is, is a really interesting one. It's called "Sometimes a Fantasy: Degrassi and the Like American Audience," um, and it is written by me. So, and I totally forgot that until you mentioned. It. I was like, "Yeah, that qualifies." Oh, yes, it's the goodness. only academic paper that I've ever had published. I literally wrote a, a like a thirty-page paper about the history of American audiences and how they experienced watching Degrassi back in the eighties and wow, 90s. you're even more famous so, than yeah, me. Oh, no. 
but um, but that's not that, that was just just um, uh, um, the other uh, the one that I the one that I was going to kind of kick off from that was not a um, was not a particular uh, academic study, but were some of the industry insider type of things. Um, there's a great book about 1970s Hollywood called Easy Riders Raging Bulls by Peter Biskind, which is not necessarily about the movies themselves. It's about the directors, the actors, the, the, it's, it's like one big long episode of like the E true Hollywood story or something like that, you know? So it's a lot of dirt and it's a lot of like industry insider stuff, kind of like, you know, Slugfest or, um, Marvel, the untold story, like that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, one, one book that I do want to recommend, I've got like two more total, but one book I want to recommend, uh, in tandem with another is, uh, called I want my MTV. And it is the uncensored history of the music video revolution, and it is the oral history of MTV from its founding um, back in the early 80s to about the early 90s, right around the time the real world got started airing and got big. So, and But what's really cool is that it's not just a history of the channel. But like running parallel to it is a history of the music industry in the '80s, especially how they were affected by music videos. So you have all of these interviews with all these like '80s rock stars, and like the videos they were shooting, and like you know what life was like and everything, and how the music industry changed over the course of the decade because of MTV. And it's like really fascinating, especially if you really like the '80s. And um, I would pair that with the the oral history of the Daily Show, the one that came out a few years ago. Uh, the Daily Show, the book, which is not just a, a look at the history of The Daily Show from like the, the from its from when it was established and like when John Stewart came took over, but it's almost like a um, a history of the early two thousands, in a way, like the late nineties and up until the time um, time that he uh, that he left the show in a few years, a couple of years. Uh, like maybe three or four years ago and like all of the world events and stuff that kind of intersected with they were covering on the show and I was reading it on a plane I think um, to Florida last year and I was just like remembering all of these things that happened in the world and stuff so that's where like books like that are really really cool because they they cover something you're interested in but then they jog your memory and you remember like what life was like back in like 2003 or or 1984, or whatever it was, and and uh, and that that's where I think there's some real value in it, especially if they're well written, which those two books are. So, have you? Well, my final, yeah, my final one, and then I guess you said you had uh, another one, yeah. is based off of a Broadway musical, or it's it's because of the Broadway mm-hmm. musical, Wicked. Wicked, I'm a huge fan of Wicked. I think it's it's up there in my top five, at least, of, of favorite musicals. And they created, it's called The Grimmery. It's a behind-the-scenes look at the hit Broadway musical. I think it came out, what date did it come out? Do, 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 do. 2005 so shortly after the musical really did in fact become a hit and it was designed to look like the spell book that alphabet has but it's all inside you know behind the scene things of how alphabet gets a remake mm-hmm. on and set design and things like that so it's just nice to give fans a behind the curtains peek at at such a, a great show and one that's lasted for a long time cool. Yeah, um, those are always fun, aren't they? Like the Star yeah. Wars ones and 
and, and some of the other things, especially if you're uh, if you can go behind and, and really see really really get into some of the details of stuff. Um, kind of kind of like watching the really cool making of extra features and stuff on on the occasional uh, DVD that I will watch, but which I find books like this a little easier to flip through than popping in a DVD or, or whatever. So mine is it's kind of a list that crosses intersects with a history of popular culture. I got it for Christmas. Um, it is called paperbacks from hell. Uh, the <clears throat> author is Grady Hendrix, um, who as of this recording is scheduled to actually be at the Virginia festival with a book talking about this book next week. And hopefully I'll be able to make it. Um, he is the author of a, of a few horror novels, uh, two of which I've read. Uh, the first one I've read was called horror store, H O R R O with an umlaut over it. R-S-T-O-R, and it is a haunted... It takes place in a in a haunted furniture store that's a lot like Ikea. And um, he does a lot of inside, like, retail-as-hell sort of jokes, and, uh, and, and, and it is really, really good. And then there was another one uh, that I just read a couple of... a few weeks ago called My Best Friend's Exorcism, which is basically what you get when you take like like a Sweet Valley High book and mix it with The Exorcist. And it's really fun. Um, so he did a history of the sort of B-level, not even B-level, because there's some really famous books in there, but the horror paperbacks from like the, the 60s all the way up to the 90s. So not Stephen King per se, but like... Some stuff like Rosemary's Baby or Flowers in the Attic and, you know, like those books. But then all of these, like, kind of like how horror movies and video stores have, like, all these subgenres of, like, B-movies and things. And you would, like, flip through them and you'd see, like, you know, Sleepaway Camp and, like, all of its ripoffs and stuff. And it's just this whole, like, list and, and exploration, like, you know, what the genre was about and, like, what caused it to die and, and, and who these authors were and... And, and that sort of stuff. And it was just, I, I, I'm not a huge horror novel person. I read maybe one or two every year. Um, and, and usually it's stuff like a Stephen, like the shining or something, but this was just like, uh, just fun and funny and just, and, and, and just pages and pages of cover art. And that's what really made those novels. Like they have the scary looking covers and stuff. So, um, I would recommend it. I believe it's, it, it is, it, it's pretty new. I think it came out last year. Um, but yeah, so that I would I would recommend that, and uh, especially if you're a horror fan, it was really really fun to read. So I believe we have one more genre left, and that's the coffee table book. So why don't you go that's ahead correct. and talk about that? I don't know what these are, but we'll go with it. So pretty explanatory as to what these <laughs> Do you are know what table is what book Tom is? says. No, I'm just Come on. kidding. But I don't really under I mean, what my I don't get the point of them, I should say, because if I have a book, I'm gonna use it. And it seems to me like coffee table books are almost only aesthetic. They're so gorgeous and you part with your money. <laughs> they're not they worth part, your money? You, you part with your money. <laughs> oh, because of it. Yeah. Well, do you even open it up? I have read a number of the ones that I own. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were they all gifts? Um, some of them, yes. Some of them, no. Mm-hmm. So that's how you explain the expenditure. Okay. So anyway, some of them I got in the discount. Question is, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you hopefully have a coffee table. I don't, so that's why I don't have these books. And you lay them out there, and then people come into your house, and they look down, and they feel like you're cultured and educated by looking at these particular books. That's what I get for it. Also, if you're missing a coaster, you can just put your um, coffee mug upon it, I suppose. Uh, so the question is, I'm, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That's bad. What makes one of these incredibly expensive books, as Tom says, worth buying, either discounted or full price? They're like $50 books. They're, they're not cheap. So you're, you're talking like a hardcover, glossy pages, oversized. They're pretty expensive books. Um, I think, would you like me to answer? I, I yes. interrupted. Well, okay. Yeah, I've asked okay. you. Um, <laughs> I think in some, ca- in some cases it is because you are a huge fan of whatever, um, whatever the subject is, right? So, um, a number of people, um, who are comics fans have, one or both or all four of Les Daniels books on Marvel, DC, and then he did books on Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. And they are just glossy. They are, they're written history. I've, I've read, actually read them, but um, glossy pictures of comic book covers and um, sometimes like stories included uh, pictures of merchandise that you know, like you need know, the different chapters and everything, and it's presented in a package that is just absolutely beautiful. Um, so that's what the appeal is. I think if you're like a huge fan of the thing, um, it's just it, the it's it's eye candy. First of all, <laughs> you know, it's not not a lot of them is very very deep in terms of its um, in terms of its uh, you know content, but a lot of times they are really worth looking at because somebody did put some work into them and uh and and they become like really fun to flip through or whatever even if they are like really expensive and 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 really uh really particularly um um my wedding guest book was a coffee table book so really yeah instead of getting like one of those guest books with like you know just loose leaf lined or whatever you know very typical guest book things um there was a book we got married in washington dc so there was a book of black and white photographs like an artsy book of black and white photographs called like washington dc portrait of a city or something and what we had people do as a guest book was we left like a sharpie there and and they we just told them turn to a picture and a page and sign you know because they were like they were all pictures black and white photos and they were like white borders like so people wrote in the borders and stuff like that so so that that's that's a good use for a coffee table book. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I've got a number of these things, both pop culture and um sports related and um travel related and stuff like that. And and I just I find them like a lot of them I purchased like really, really cheap. Like I have um I have a book, the DC's uh I think it's called DC Cover Girls or whatever. It's basically a a retrospective of, of women superheroes in the DCU that Louise Simonson wrote. And, um, uh, I actually, I got the paperback soft cover. It's not a paperback. It's still pretty, it's still, still pretty big, but it's like a trade paperback. And, um, I actually have her, her, she signed it for me. So that was pretty cool. But, but yeah, I just, like I said, they're, they're nothing except like really fun to look at. And you sometimes do get some really interesting stuff out of them. 
Uh, like there were some making of Star Wars Empire and Jedi books that I don't own, but they were they were pretty popular and they had some really deep cut like inside pictures that people hadn't seen or or things like that. So sometimes you do get a really cool look at some stuff. Um, I remember seeing on the shelf of Barnes and Noble a couple of years ago, like a corporate history of the Wayland Utani Corporation. And if oh. I had the money, I totally would have bought it because I was flipping through it. And it's yes. all about. I don't think Covenant was out yet, so I think it's up to Prometheus. I think I think it was right after Prometheus came out, so I think it might have included stuff about Prometheus, but not about Alien Covenant. Which would have started there. That would have been the beginning yeah, of the timeline. Yeah. So so I think it I think it had this, but it was basically like packaged, but but it also involved like all of the different Alien movies, and it was making up stuff, concept stuff. But I was just like I I did not have the money for it at the moment. I was like that was really really cool. And these are books you want to own physically because of the fact that they are they're they're big and they're they're cool to look at and you don't have to keep them on a coffee table mine or on a shelf. <laughs> I see. So how do people know that you're cultured and educated? By being in my presence, Stella. I see. I see. Okay. Well, I'll I'll say that I, I don't have a coffee table, but I do have some oversized books that maybe could be a coffee okay. table book. I have the Marvel and, as a separate thing, DC encyclopedias. Oh, definitely. That yeah. were, they're about, ooh, 2010-ish, 2010, mm-hmm. 2011. And then I also bought two art books because I uh well I play video games and there's one company that I follow no matter the game I get it even if it's survival <laughs> horror which was out of my naughty dog is something I because they did Crash Bandicoot and then Jack and Daxter and then of course they had Uncharted and then they did The Last of Us and I was very nervous about it but I thought well they've not let me down so far so I was freaked out but I still played it and so I got The Art of Naughty Dog which traced um, several of their games and then God of War, which came out last spring, just so beautiful of a game. And Dark Horse recently released, I guess maybe in the summer or something, their art. Mm-hmm. So just to have those and to look in the, like the making of the game and what the pre-production art was like and, and designing mm-hmm. it is, is something that fascinates me and I really enjoy. Brett has four books like that that Dark Horse put out for the Legend of Zelda games. I bet he does. I was going to say Legend One is the Hyrule Historia. That's the green one. The maroon one was Art and Artifacts. Oh, yes, um, yes. There's a white one that's just about Breath of the Wild. And he there's a blue one called the Encyclopedia, but there's a deluxe edition that Dark Horse put out that I got for him. And instead of just being the big hardcover, blue hardcover, it's a gold hardcover that is mocked up to look like the original gold Legend of Zelda NES cartridge. Oh, and here's wow. the best part. It's a slipcase edition. And the slipcase is the black plastic thing that you would put the cartridge in with the Nintendo logo on the front of it. You know what I'm talking about? I do. All right. So you have this giant video game cartridge that's essentially a book, and it comes with a small, floppy instruction book like the video game was about how to use the book. Oh, oh they my. really went all in on the packaging. I was totally like, I um, I got it for him for, I think it was his birthday, I think, 
I was like totally blown away by this book. I was just like, I want to read this. It was just so when I when I got it off at the comic store, I was like, this is just the coolest thing because <laughs> I had a special order and I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> and he really liked it. So yeah, the, those video game art books are really fun. Um, really cool to flip through, and and those Zelda books are really really cool. They do a really great job of it. I have a book that I bought at the most recent Baltimore Comic Con that we were at. Oh, at full price? No, I got it for fifteen bucks. <gasps> called The Art of Atari. Oh. And it is a history of the Atari video games and the, you know, the video game systems, but it's also like um, sp- spotlighting all of the cartridge and cover art for Atari over the years and spotlights on the specific artists and stuff. It was really, I read it cover to cover. It was so fascinating. A really, really cool book. So Dynamite Publishing put it out. So, oh, wow. you know, that comic company. So I do know that comic company. So I mentioned the Les Daniels books. Um, I have a couple of others. Uh, do you have any others that you can think of? I don't. That's okay. it for me. Um, DC around its 75th anniversary put out a book called like 75 years of DC comics or something. Paul Levitz wrote it. Um, I don't have that, but I put out, uh, but I have the three, kind of offshoots of that which were kind of like him taking the different ages of DC comics and breaking them down into big huge books uh, one on the golden age the silver age and the bronze age uh, they were supposed to do a fourth on the the modern age or the dark age I don't know what they were going to call it which would have covered probably like the mid 80s to the late 90s or something uh, it never got off the ground uh, I think it was cancelled and, and um, I if I happen to see Paul Levitz at a convention, I may actually ask him about it. But these books are gorgeous because they are just they're, they're huge. You flip them open, there's there's a little history of the com- of the company that he wrote or the um, or just like what they were publishing at the time and then it was just like here's this cover and here's this cover and here's this hero and here's Pat and like just deep dives into these uh into these particular three ages of comics, and they're just sitting on my bookshelf. And there, Amanda got all three of them for me um, over the course of a couple of Christmases and birthdays, and they're really, really cool looking um, for a comic nerd like me. Um, I also have a book that I've had my—I think one of my very first coffee table books was a book called George Lucas: The Creative Impulse. I think is the name Whoa! of it. George yes. Lucas, and that is all about. Episode one, it was so early, it was the early 90s, so episode one hadn't even come out yet. Um, <laughs> but it was all about his movies and his career. I, I bought it, I, I would read it, I would look through the different movies, i read them over and over. It made me want to see... Um, it made me want to see a lot of the movies that I hadn't seen of his that weren't like Star Wars or Neon Jones or Willow. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's been one of my favorites for years and years. And I have other books and stuff, but I have like a, a, one about Springsteen. I have this really cool photo book about, um, called touch me. I'm sick, which is about, a uh, grunge music in the early nineties. Um, I have the DC action figure archive book, which is basically just photos of like every action figure DC had put out at one point or another. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I just, I just really enjoy them, but I would recommend tracking down the art of Atari. 
um, for anybody who's an 80s kid, as well as anybody who's a comics fan. If you can find those, um, I don't remember the name of the company that put them out, but those DC comics, like in the Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age history ones, on the cheap, I would definitely, definitely recommend finding those. <laughs> I have this note, like, I think we could do a coffee table book special, but maybe I'll just save that for a, for a special episode of, of one of my other podcasts. It's <laughs> You're not as familiar with the... Um, with the, the genre as I am, because I have some ones that don't have to do with pop culture that are just really, just truly fascinating. So maybe you could invite Shagalicious on with you. <laughs> well, there are a lot of pictures in coffee table books, so yeah, I guess I could. <laughs> Is that a dig? It's always a dig. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> anyway. So that is our brief look. Although I'm looking at the time, and we're uh, we're about an hour, which is I think what we what we usually shoot for for these yeah. particular episodes, um, unless we want to go really really in depth with stuff. But just kind of us shooting the breeze or recommending a few things out there. Um, your public library may have some of these. Um, ours has in whatever section they are in 741 in the Dewey Decimal System nonfiction section or somewhere up there they may have a few of these hanging around did you just throw that number out or is that 741 for is where you find like uh, where, where you find nonfiction books about comics and art and animation well you memorized that I've right had away, that memorized since I was in junior high school and my and my public library had a copy of a book that I now own because I found it in a used bookstore called, Tale, <gasps> called Tales of the Dark Knight, Batman's First 50 Years. Oh, I wow. used to check that out every time I saw it. It was, you know, it was by Mark Cotavaz. It's a really cool book. It's got color reproductions of covers. It's got a in-depth history of Batman. Um, and I and, and I always knew to go to if I'm, if I'm, I can see, I can see the adult section of, the, not the adult section of the library, just the the grown-ups section of the library, the non-children section of the library, um, and the non. To my right downstairs is it's nonfiction on my right, fiction on my left. To my right downstairs, um, toward the back is the 741 where the art and everything is, and then on my left, all the way down. All the way in the corner is the science fiction paperback section, where I used to just grab like Star Trek novels and things like that. So um, it's like a happy place. I loved going to the Sable Public Library back when they were in that building. They're not in that building anymore. So, but that's another topic that we will cover. Maybe ten episodes from now, maybe twenty. We don't know. So. Um, we don't have any uh, feedback for this episode, and there, there's part. There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, if you're, uh, we've been recording. We were, we're recording this kind of out of order with another one because of the way our recording schedule kind of worked. So um, we're actually recording a little bit of head. <laughs> so uh, so we don't have anything from uh, Hunger Games or Les Mis. Um, or anything like that, but we we promised that we were going to catch up on all of our feedback as it is in next episode, which will be episode thirty one, uh, which will be out in a month from now. So, um, and Stella has the pick for that one because episode twenty nine was my pick. It was Les Miserables. Um, we did not reveal our pick for episode thirty one at the end of that episode. So, what is our pick? For episode three. Yeah, and I decided <laughs> I decided to stay with complicated novels mm-hmm. that are also lengthy. And, and from the I've wa- I 
Yes. I believe, right? And it's interesting. Yeah, they just, well, where I'm at, they they just had the Battle of Waterloo. Mm-hmm. So I thought, this is interesting how it overlaps. I think that's where I'm at, too. Is. Okay. So this has been sort of at the back of my mind for a while, and I thought, well, I'm in a good momentum. Why not? Why not? And I asked Tom how long he would need to read a 900-page book. He said a couple months. I said, okay. Let's do it. So the next novel is <laughs> Vanity Fair by William Makepeace Thackeray. Okay. And I promise that episode 32 will be a shorter book. Because I think, I think. A picture book! <laughs> they all saw a it. Coffee table we'll do that book. one. Oh, gosh. Could you imagine? I wonder what that would be like. I think, I think just mercifully, the two of us are going to have to do it. We'll probably do a couple of shorter books for 32 and 33 after, like. These That's two yeah. big, big mustard. Um, we don't have any plans to take a month off this year, as far as I know. I have to talk to you about that. Okay. So maybe we might have some plans <laughs> to take a month off. I'm so but we sorry. will let you, Something just happened. We will yet. let you know. Otherwise, um, you can follow us on Twitter, as always, at RecReadingCast, R-E-Q ReadingCast. Um, and please uh, leave us Facebook comments, a- Apple iTunes reviews, all that other stuff. Um, we love hearing from you guys, and we will be back in a month. Uh, we will cover feedback in a month. Thank you for sitting here and listening to us talk about just these sorts of books and make recommendations, and and uh, I, I, I had fun with this. So, as always, take care, and thanks for listening. And don't try to trick anyone as to your education level by buying a really expensive and really beautiful coffee table book. Just be yourself. Good night. Thanks for listening to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, which is brought to you by two true That's two true freaks. If you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash requiredreading with Tom and Stella. If you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion, you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com. We will read every email we get on future episodes. We're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review in iTunes? If you're interested in following along with the books we read, you can do that and support us at the same time. Just go to twotruefreaks.com, click the Amazon.com link. Every purchase you make will go to support us and the other TTF podcasts. It costs you nothing extra, but it really helps us out. Thanks again for listening and come back next month for our next episode.